Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. Uh, I hope you came with a heart full of expectation. Uh, I honestly did not come to play church games. I'm not really interested, uh, as I'm sure you are, due to the severity of the times. We are uh, able to recognize the privilege that we have in this season to see the futility of certain efforts that are not actually helping me to advance in my life being conformed to the image of Jesus. So I want something that is going to make me more like Jesus. I need times of gathering that are going to help me in my development into the image of Jesus. And so this morning I came with a very specific goal. Uh, I want to see him. I want to hear him so that I can be made more like him. More like him. That, that is the goal. That is the Romans 8 trajectory that all of our lives are on. This is the Father's pleasure. It is the Father's purpose. It is what he has predestined all of those that come to believe, those that have bowed their knee, those that have pledged their allegiance. We are all headed in the same direction, and it is that Jesus would be formed in us individually and corporately as a people. And so as long as that's what, what we're all here to do, then praise God, like I, I'm with y'all, like I'm ready for it. Um, but I'm not interested in the hoops and the hurdles and the circus and the charismania and all of just the event-oriented, um, entertainment-driven Christianity that has satisfied for a generation as long as there was no tension. But then in the moments of the tension, we realize that the generation that has been engulfed in entertainment is not actually in advancing into Christ's image. Um, because you can have entertainment and you can carry influence, but you can have entertainment and influence and not produce any image. And so I need something that's going to produce image and not just attendees and people that are willing to give in an offering. <laughs> I don't know where all this is coming from. You guys just do something. I just wanted to come up and say hello and tell you all about some books, and then this isn't at all what I felt, but I feel it right now. Um, so about these books, uh, I'm going to say something really quick. I'm going to hand these uh, to Stephen. I have a couple of guys that are with me that I love, uh, that are a part of our team and family that I would lay my life down for, um, Stephen and Omar and Frankie. Uh, we all drove up, we chose not to fly, not because we're afraid of the airport, but because we just enjoyed the extended time to, some of us enjoyed it. Uh, and as I was packing, I thought to myself, man, it was only a 35 minute flight. Like, whose choice was this? Um, we are living in days where it is a necessity that we develop the beautiful tools of fasting and prayer. Um, these are wonderful days to fast and pray. Uh, some may say quarantine, I say consecrate. Um, you can be in the same position, yet with a completely different posture. And so depending on how you go in determines the way that you arise. Um, and I'm not even going to say whenever things get back to normal, 
because I think that some of us are sadly mistaken that normal is a thing that is returning and we have allowed the pause button to be pushed in our lives thinking that there's going to come this magical moment where pixie dust falls or someone waves a wand or even worse than that, a political figure comes on a TV screen and gives me permission to live my life again the way that I know God has called me to live it. Um, I don't believe that there is coming a moment when normal as we knew normal is going to return. And so it is going to be an imperative for you and for me as we seek to honor the Lord and to live as a faithful family in the earth that we have discernment that we have discernment and we're not just getting in alignment with every voice that is chattering on a screen in our direction and in order to have discernment it is going to require that we reduce the influence of our fleshly man and there is nothing as aggressive or as accelerated that I have found to do that such as the beautiful tools as fasting and praying um, fasting and praying has helped me to identify what is my thoughts, what is another's thoughts, and what is God's thoughts. Um, and we have access to the mind of Christ, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2. No eye seen, no ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what it is that God has prepared for those that love him, but by the Spirit, you and I have access to the mind of Christ. We've not been left to our own devices. We haven't been abandoned to our own orphan idea. We've not been left with only our fleshly analyzation or reason ability. We have access to divine counsel where we can know what God is thinking. We can hear his voice. And we can be a people who posture ourselves in the days that we are living in accordance to God's desires. Um, and so we have some books out there. Uh, there is the Fasting One book, which was written a few years ago, uh, which at the time I thought would be the only one of its kind. But last weekend, there was the release of the Fasting Volume 2 book. Um, I get asked all the time, how much actually is there to say about not eating? Uh, you figure you could just wrap that up in a page or two, like, hey, don't eat. Uh, page two, hey, we're still not eating. That's what fasting is called. Uh, but there's the fasting volume two book, and then there's the prayer book. So we have the fast and pray bundle that is out there. Uh, there is also another book which is on generosity and shaking the world as the early church did through the means of our lives being surrendered and broken one to another to live in the beauty of generosity um, because we believe that God is generous. And when all books are put together, it creates a Matthew 6 collection, because if you're familiar with Matthew 6, you understand Jesus says three things. He says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Uh, and so we have the Matthew 6 collection, not available this morning, that's on our website, but we have the fasting set and the fast and pray set out there. Uh, and if you are seeking to really dial in with great clarity to the mind of Jesus, I encourage you, do not overlook nor minimize the beauty of God's invitation to us to develop intimacy and dependency through fasting and praying. Uh, it is a joy to be with you. Um, we had fun last night. Was anybody there last night? Yeah. Was anybody else watching online? All right, I won't hold it against you. Uh, we had fun last night. Uh, I am anticipating for the Lord to do something this morning in our hearts um, that just can't be rubbed off in a couple of days.
something beyond emotionalism, something beyond the joy of just being able to be in the same place again together, but that where God's purposes in our hearts would be more fully realized because of what he is desiring from our lives as he has strategically assigned us to be alive in the moments that we are experiencing right now. And so it's a joy to be here. Uh, there's so many of you that we've known and loved and have grown to know and love over the years. We were recounting last night. It was 2014 or 15. Uh, 2015, the first time we came for Roadblock way back when. Uh, and it is a joy to still be here and to see what God has been doing over time. Um, Pastors Romeo and Andrea, uh, we love you. Um, we get to see you more often than just when we come here, and so it is a great joy. Uh, we honor your pastors, Pastor Mark and Michelle, and so many others of the team. Um, and so I'm going to ask you if you would open up your Bible to Daniel chapter 6. And we are going to, in just a moment, after we pray, uh, hop into some things I believe the Lord has put in my heart for us while taking an overview of the life of Daniel and seeing how Daniel communicates God's purposes and his desires to us in this season as we seek to be a prophetic people who posture ourselves in the midst of a hostile culture to advance God's kingdom, to preach and bring the announcement, the heralding of this great gospel message and hope, and to see every tribe, nation, and tongue be harvested into God's family because this is what God desires. He's a family man. He's a family man. And so as we look into Daniel chapter 6, I'm going to ask you as we did last night, would you just put your hand on your heart? And I'm going to take a moment and pray. I, I, I found it even to be very specific that we sang and that Pastor Romeo came up to exhort and to encourage. Um, it's dangerous when you give God access to the entirety of your heart. Uh, and not just the places where you may believe have become safe or normalized over time, where you've grown accustomed to him being involved in certain places of your life or in certain matters pertaining to the heart. But the writer of Proverbs would tell us, guard the heart, because from it flow the issues of life. Um, Lord, this morning, as we are here, we're not just here to go through the motions. We're not just here because a church event is something that we know we have to scratch off of our to-do list over the course of the week. We're not just here because we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves if we didn't have a weekly injection or a dose of some sort of gathering such as this. But we're here because we came with strategic purpose. I have to see your face. There are days behind me when realizing your presence, being sensitive to your nearness and being alive to your voice was a luxury. Not much of my life would change if I didn't sense you, hear you. I could still go about my daily to-dos or my weekly rhythms, but Lord, we're living in days where hostility is on the increase and tension has been arising. 
And these are days where the presence and the voice of God is no longer a luxury, but it is a necessity. It is a necessity in order to preserve my sanity. Uh, it is a necessity that I hear you and see you and realize how overwhelmingly good you are because of how near you are. It is a necessity that I am able to apprehend your peace, your joy, your rest, because we have a promise and a hope that the rest of the world does not have. And God, I ask you this morning, would you do something in my heart? To where I would actually live like I believe the things that I amen. The things that I pray. The things that I sing. God, do something in our hearts this morning. Where we would live like believers. Because we believe that these are our days. And that you have a powerful purpose for your people. Help us to posture ourselves correctly so that we do not miss our moment because all of history is testifying about what we will do with our lives in this hour. There is coming a moment at the end of the age where history will write about each one of our lives and how we handled the hour of opportunity that is upon us. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. You are worthy of a people that would love you with their whole life. May we be such a people. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to look into Daniel chapter 6. In Daniel chapter 6, as I said, we are going to glance into specific places in the life of Daniel over the course of the first six chapters to be able to see Daniel as a person, yes, to be able to reference Daniel's life as a prophet, yes, but there is something that I am uniquely after in you being able to discern about the life of Daniel that potentially, maybe up until this moment, you have not seen. And that's not to uh, create an assault against anyone's uh, spirituality or uh, uh, intellectualism or so on and so forth, but this, that this morning, by the Spirit, there's something special about this book. You can read this book for the rest of your life, and I hope that you do, and get something new, something different from things that you've read hundreds of times, thousands of times. One verse for the rest of your life could explode in your heart day by day and trigger an eruption and an unveiling of the new beauties and mysteries of God to you. There's something about this book that is alive. At least that's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. For the word of God is living and it's active. And I'm praying that as we gaze into the life of Daniel this morning, that something about the life of Daniel would come alive to you. That something about this person that God has given us, not just for illustration, but for matters of invitation. Where we wouldn't be so wowed, where we wouldn't be so awestruck, where we wouldn't create some rock star idolistic profile of a prophet or of a person to think that God is simply just detailing the life of a man to create distance to think, oh wow, look at what I did with him. Because how easily we exempt ourselves from the conversation 
whenever we can create a narrative within our own hearts as to justify why God would be willing to do something with someone else and why he wouldn't be willing to do that same thing with me. But this morning, I want you to be provoked by Daniel's life. This morning, I want you to feel invited by the prophetic picture that God gives us through the life of this person, this prophet, who we are going to soon realize is a people. Daniel chapter 6. Let's pick it up. You know what? I'm going to back up a little bit. Let's pick it up in verse 6. Daniel 6, 6. That's only two sixes for all the spiritual folks. Calm down. (laughs) Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. Uh, You're very aware there's only one king that's going to live forever. All of these earthly kings, their rule will come to an end. Their moment of judgment will come. There will come a season. There will come a climactic moment at the end of the age when the king of all kings will return. Where the clouds will part and the son of man will come riding in all of his glory with a host of angels. And he will take his rightful place in a physical, full manifestation of things that have been realized now by the Spirit. He is seated at the right hand of his Father in all majesty, in all glory. He is more beautiful and more powerful than any man that's ever been alive. And he is alive even now. And alive, not just alive as the rest of us, but he's alive from the dead. He's passed through death. He's gone into hell. He's conquered sin and all of the weapons of the enemy against us. And he has been risen by the Spirit. And he has ascended into the heavens. And he is seated. He is enthroned. And he is awaiting for the moment of his soon coming return. They may chant from an earthly place looking upon fleshly leaders and say, we wish that you would live forever, but there is one king that God knows will live forever. And he has been assigned because of his father's desire. Psalm 2, why do the nations and the rulers of the age rage against God and his anointed one? And it says that he's enthroned and he's seated, he's at rest, and he laughs. Hmm. Okay. And all the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, they have no idea what these guys are, the high officials, and the governors, this is a leadership council, right? This is what you would call a governmental um, council. All of the leaders on a variety of levels in the social construct of leadership and government are coming together. And they are in a meeting trying to create a manipulative effort against Daniel. The high officials, the governors, have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction or an ordinance. Anybody familiar with an ordinance? (laughs) That anyone that makes a petition to any man or God besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. But now, O king, 
establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document. That is the injunction. And verse 10 will be where we land. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his upper room where he had the windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Meaning, as he had been doing before the ordinance. As his lifestyle was before the injunction. Before the governmental document was signed, Daniel was accustomed to a certain way of life. There was a faithfulness to God. There was a loving devotion that was expressed to the God that he had given his life to. Daniel bowed his knee to his God and to his God alone, and he opened his window in an upper room. There was a higher place where Daniel would climb, and he would give his attention in the place of prayer to his God. And when Daniel recognized that all of his devotion was now against the law, this is where we pick it up in verse 10. And when Daniel realized that now his faithfulness had become a crime, he decided in his own heart that he was going to keep doing everything that he had been doing, no matter who liked it, no matter who signed off on it, no matter who was going to be against it, regardless of what document had been signed, what ordinance had been given, what injunction had been declared, what the matters or the opinion of a king had been issued out, Daniel realized in his own heart, there's something that I am. And because of what I am, there's something that I do. Because what we do comes out of who we realize we are. And when we realize who it is that we actually are, we will then know the things that we are actually supposed to be doing. And so realizing what to do becomes secondary, if you would, to knowing what it is or who it is that you are. And Daniel is seated in a hostile situation. We understand from the opening of Daniel's life in chapter 1 that he is in Babylon. Babylon, the great prophetic picture even from the end of the age. The great harlot that arises out of Babylon in order to seduce the nations of the earth and to lead them with a manipulative wielding and an effort to inspire towards wickedness and corruption through the means of seduction. The great harlot Daniel is in Babylon. Babylon is the place where the Tower of Babel was erected. It was constructed. The place where the nations conspired against God's leadership, seeking to overthrow his rule. We can do it without you. We'll build a tower unto ourselves that extends into the heavens. Why into the heavens? Because if we reach you, we can overthrow you. And God takes notice of their demonic unity. <laughs> Hear me, not all unity is divinely inspired. God takes notice of their demonic unity. 
And he says, let's go down and see what they're all about. Let's go down and check out the efforts of their work. Let's go down and see what it is that they're conspiring to build. And let us go down. And God comes down and in a place of counsel goes through an evaluation or an investigation. And he says, I cannot any longer allow them into the place of fulfillment for what it is that they're desiring to build. We have to bring disruption to all of their efforts because if we do not disrupt it, then they will succeed in the things that they desire. And he disrupts their ability to communicate. (laughs) Communication is always the first thing to go when there's demonic influence. We can stand next to each other, but we no longer have the ability to communicate well one with another. (laughs) And God comes down and he disrupts their efforts at the place of Babel. And hundreds of years later, we have the introduction of Daniel and the children of Israel in a moment of time in the biblical narrative that is, let's just say something that I don't really like the way that things are going whenever you open up Daniel chapter 1. In the beginning of Daniel chapter 1, we find that Daniel and the children of Israel, by the hand of the Lord, are handed over to King Nebuchadnezzar, and they're taken into exile. They are removed in a moment from everything that they ever knew. They are severed in a moment from all of the things that they had cultivated over time that gave them a place practically in the earth to be able to live out or to demonstrate their faithfulness to God individually and as a people. What do I mean? They're taken into exile where they now have to learn a new language. Some of them are even renamed. Some of them even give themselves to become eunuchs. Hey, let me just tell you, life is not that bad right now. All right? Life is not that bad right now. All right? Some of the stuff that we be complaining about, like, life is not that bad right now. Some of them even gave themselves to become eunuchs. But there's no more temple gatherings. They're in exile. They're in a pagan territory. They're in a hostile, godless society. They're living in a culture that is adversely or against who it is that they are and all of the things that they have sought to develop in order to represent to one another and to the world around them of who they are. They are disconnected from the ability to gather together corporately at the temple for worship and times of reading in the scriptures. They're now in a hostile land. But the part that I don't really like is that it says, by the hand of the Lord, they are handed over into exile. And King Nebuchadnezzar is now ruling and he is reigning. And he is renaming and they find themselves in a moment that is not looking like a moment that they ever thought would be a moment that they would have to live through. Have you woken up at any point over the last six months and thought to yourself, man, am I living in a movie? Like what in the world is going on? Things have become hostile. The world has become a circus. And every moment where I think to myself, okay, now, it really can't get any crazier than it is. I just turn the news on. And I realize, you guys, really, you one-up me every time I think that this is as far as we could have gone. I'm sure there were moments where Daniel got up and he said, okay, this is not what I want it to be. 
um, but I have a decision to make. Because if I just can't create what I used to have, then I have to learn to be faithful with where it is that I am. And I have to begin to understand that God has not abandoned me because of where it is that I am. If my box was too small and if I minimized God's being with me only when he could be with me in the things that I had developed to create a reference point or an understanding of him being with me, I can't go to the temple? Okay, so what? I can't have massive corporate gatherings anymore? Okay, so what? I have people that are trying to rename me and redefine me? Okay, so what? This is the hand that I'm dealt. But I must understand that God can play any hand because when I stand with the Lord, I am not the underdog. And we're living in a moment where many of us just have chosen to believe that God is way too small when held up against the power of the culture's influence in our lives. But Daniel finds himself in a hostile culture. He finds himself in a season of adversity. He finds himself in a moment, in an era where he is gripped with uncertainty. He does not know if there is ever going to be another point in his life where he has what he used to have. But if I can't go backwards, nobody really wants to go backwards. If I can't go backwards, then I'm going to press forward with God. And Daniel begins to survey the land. And in Daniel chapter 1, we find that Daniel reasons, Daniel decides, Daniel resolves in his own heart, Daniel 1.8, to not partake of the delicacies of the king's table. He resolves in his own heart not to partake, not to feast like the rest, not to come and feed himself from the table that the rest of the people are feeding themselves. This sounds like a very minuscule or minor decision. It looks like from the outside that this is something that actually does not really matter and who actually cares what this dude's diet was. If he was keto or South Beach or low carb or sugar free, why does it matter? Because Daniel had determined that one of the battlefields in Babylon was the table. And Daniel is living in a moment where he recognizes, I cannot feast on what everyone else is feasting on because I am in this culture, but I am not supposed to be a part of this culture. Jesus prayed that we would be in the world, but that we would not be of the world. But it's hard to not be like the world when you are feasting on the things that the rest of the world is feasting on. It's hard to be set apart when you've become a part and you are delighting in all of the delicacies that are being served up from the table of Babylon and you are feeding yourself with the same thing that everyone else that is a part of this wicked, pagan, other setting is feeding feeding themselves on and Daniel realizes if I'm going to be faithful to the Lord I have to perfect a different diet you see some of us need a different diet because right now the things that are being served up to us from the world we've been feeding and we've been feasting and we've become fattened by the things that are coming across of the king's table we are in a crazy moment right now where stuff is getting out of hand 
Our nation is hemorrhaging, whether or not you have realized what is actually happening. Stuff that has been buried deep beneath the surface. There is a moment, there is a season of exposure where visibility is coming upon wickedness and corruption and things that have been evil at their origin, demonically inspired. There is an uprising right now in the sense of our culture. If you don't actually believe that, you've been living in a box. Gender fluidity is an argument right now where people that are older want to identify as someone that's younger so that they can enter into sexual practice with people that are younger so that we can avoid the consequence or the criminal act of pedophilia. And pedophilia is being argued in court right now that it's an actual condition where people are born. Why would you think that there would come a moment when the rulers and the powers and the principalities and all the history of demonic activity throughout the narrative of the scriptures would come to an end? What makes you think that the devil would all of a sudden get a different profile or personality from the way that he wields corruption in the earth? He's always been about child sacrifice. He's always been about child sacrifice. He's always been about child sacrifice. Molech and Baal and Astaroth and all of these other gods, all of these other pagan individuals and ideas and deities throughout the history of the age, they've always had one thing that was a common denominator. There was child sacrifice that was always involved in a way for you to worship them. And right now we have people that are arguing in court, big time intellectuals, to try to make the taking advantage of the least, the weakest, the most innocent and vulnerable among us, something that is becoming normalized in our culture. Well, I, I just, Mike, I don't want to pay attention to all that stuff. I just, you know, I just want to shut away in my house and... I just want to turn on my Bethel or my Hillsong and, you know, I, I, I prefer elevation or upper room or, um, you know, I'm a house fires guy myself, you know, and, and, and I, just want to, I just want to wait for all of this to pass. Uh, I just want to wait for the dust to settle and for things to clear. Uh, you know, I, I'm just going to kumbaya it all by myself. Uh, you know, I'm just going to kind of do my own thing for the next couple of months. Things have been good right now. You know, I, I just pretend like nothing exists and I just shut myself away and I just pray that, you know, nothing would actually come to the front doorstep of my house or, you know, they can riot and they can protest and I'll just let all of them hate each other and kill each other and burn each other up and they can do whatever they want to do as long as it doesn't actually come to my house because as for me in my house, I've decided that I'm going to serve the Lord. We are in a, I even hate to say this, a breaking point moment. It is people group against people group. 
There is more hostility right now in our nation, and you must see it from the correct perspective so that you don't enter into the lower level, earthly, carnal, fleshly warfare and become entangled in a conversation that is not something that you and I are supposed to be having. There is more hostility, more division, more hatred, more violence, more suffering that is being spewed upon our nation. And if we do not have discernment, if we are not sensitive to a beholding of the Lamb, if there is not something in us that can identify what is actually Jesus and what is not, then we will get swallowed up in the current of our culture and we will be led astray with something that just has the right language, with something that just has the right activist leading it, with something that just has the right leader in its movement. It's left against right. It's Democrat against Republican. It's conservative against progressive or liberal. It's LGBTQ, NMLP, RST, whatever, uh, against all of those that are more heteronormative. Uh, that's not to crack jokes, I honestly just can't keep up because they keep adding letters. There's gender identity issues and boys want to be girls and girls think they can be boys and there's gender fluidity which no longer identifies you by a certain age but it's a thought in your own mind. We are in a moment where it's blue lives and white lives and black lives and yellow lives. We are in a moment where it's civilians against law enforcement, where it's the government against the people. There is more hostility right now we are living in a hostile moment in history and it is an imperative that you and I understand what we are supposed to be doing. First Chronicles 12:32 tells us of the sons of Issachar, a company of men that were able to discern the times and the seasons. But they just didn't have discernment for the sake of discernment. They just weren't sitting in a revelatory bubble all alone somewhere applauding themselves because of what they knew God was saying. They could identify times and seasons, but they could also communicate what it was that Israel was to do based off of the discerning of the times. We need a people that are discerning of the times so that we just don't get tidal waved away with the rest of the culture that is seeking to lead us into all kinds of places of brokenness and division. We need a united front as a family on mission in the earth to display the glory of God. And Daniel finds himself in a moment where he says, I can't feast on what everybody else is feasting on. I just can't simply feed like the rest. I've got to have a different diet. Certain things have to be cut away. Certain things have to be cut off. I've got to resolve in my own heart that I cannot live like the rest and then expect a different outcome or conclusion. I cannot be worldly and then expect otherworldly things to come out of my life. But I am to be in the world yet not of the world. And Daniel is planted in the world. And of all places in the world, he is in Babylon in the world. Daniel chapter 2, we find the king has a dream. 
And he loves to know from all of the wizards and the warlocks and the divination team, all the wise men as the scriptures conclude, but these are wizards. This is a divination team. And he wants to know what the dream is. And there's one man in the whole company of a nation, of a culture, of whom it is known that the spirit of the gods resides on the inside of him. Because when Daniel decided not to defile himself, he was supernaturally endowed, if you would, with gifting in order to generate the success for his season. And unto Daniel and his friends, dreams and visions, wisdom and understanding, insight pertaining to spiritual matters, and an advanced ability to learn the culture of where they were. And the king gets into a dream, and Daniel is there. Because Daniel has the ability to navigate dreams. And it's not just the navigation of dreams, but it's actually the preserving of their lives. Because Daniel and his crew would have died alongside of the rest. You see, God just wasn't giving them gifting in order to uh, boo-rah-rah, sis-boom-ba themselves. This wasn't like, hey, you're super special. This was something that was keeping them alive. It was something that was preserving their life. It was a gifting in season and the operation of a gifting in season that helped them to navigate the complexity of the day that they were living in. Daniel was not being gifted so that he could be applauded. He was being gifted so that he could stay alive. Chapter 3, we find that there's a unique moment in the history of what we have now as the story where Nebuchadnezzar erects a golden statue of himself. Okay. And the statue goes up. 90 feet tall, nine-story statue, and there's the command that musical instruments rally alongside, and that there are to be specific times of worship and devotion unto the statue. And again, another ordinance is signed off on. Another injunction is released. Another governmental issuing has come forth. But there's a problem because Daniel and his buddies won't bow like the rest. Daniel and his crew, they just don't get down like everybody else whenever everybody is getting down. And the culture becomes infuriated with those who won't simply be bendable and broken. The culture becomes infuriated with those who would dare to stand and oppose what is becoming normalized. But Daniel and his crew, they just won't be normalized because what they understand is that normal according to the culture is not normal according to the kingdom. And it really doesn't matter to them who's in office because they understand who's on the throne. And they are now a target, and people are looking for them because they will not bow. And the statue goes up, and the music begins to play, and the command is given. Every time you see it or you hear it, bow to it. Every time you see it or you hear it, bow to it. 
We must understand the prophetic implications of what is actually happening right now in our culture through the influence, if you would, and the demonic inspiration that is being pumped as an agenda through the means of Hollywood and the music industry. Whenever you see it or you hear it, it's going to normalize certain things in your mind and in your heart so that you can bow like the rest. There is a very corrupt backside and agenda. There is a very demonically inspired influence that is being pumped through different screens and different realms of the airwaves. And if we do not actually have discernment, then we will just give ourselves and feed on and feast on what the rest of the culture is feeding on and feasting on and before we know it over time we are the ones that have become normalized because our hearts are no longer sensitive to things that are not right what am I talking about I just it is what it is you can't have Drake and Hillsong on your playlist you, you can't have Beyonce and Bethel, okay? Like, like, like it, it just, it is what it is. There, there has to come a moment where we understand that what we're feeding on is attempting to normalize us. What we're feasting on is attempting to get us to bow. And certain things are becoming normal in our hearts that have never actually become normal. And we are becoming conditioned over time to no longer be sensitive to God's desires. And as we are doing so, certain agendas over time are advancing. Whenever you see it, I want you to bow. All of the killing, all of the hatred, all of the sexuality in movies, TV shows, sitcoms and series, all of the things that we have been so conditioned over time, which at one point in our history was completely appalling to us, that certain things would even be glorified or that they would be projected in such a large screen for the rest of the culture to absorb on a normal basis and not just absorb it, some of us are actually financing it and beyond financing it, we actually enjoy it. Pornhub and the pornographic industry the majority of which is financed by the United States. Who's paying for it? Who's paying for it? All of the sexuality and the glorification of sexuality. And we wonder why there's issues with sex trafficking, why there's problems with organized crime units and prostitution, why children are being trafficked. We wonder where these things came from. It didn't happen overnight, but it came moment by moment as we saw it and we heard it and it became normal. And before we knew it, we were bowing like the rest. And now we can't even tell the difference. But there was a group who wouldn't bow and they rose up and they challenged the status quo and they challenged what was normalized in culture and they said we understand that that's normal to you but that's normal to us we understand that that's what you choose to look at and that's what you choose to listen to but we have something else that we see and someone else that we hear and I don't need any part of that because I'm not trying to be like the rest because right now I am in it but I'm not supposed to be of it well, Michael, you just, yeah, that's religious talking there. No, that's relationship talking there. 
Well, that's just rules and regulations. No, in love, there's always boundaries. When you said, I do, you immediately said, I don't, to a million other things. Love always comes with boundaries. And there's no way that we are going to provoke our culture when we are postured in our culture, doing and saying and sounding just like the rest. And these guys get fed to the furnace. Because listen, sometimes actually living for God in a faithful way comes with a price. I know it'd be wonderful if he supernaturally kept them from having to go into the fire, but they end up in the fire. Are you willing to live faithfully for him, even if there's real consequence? Are you living to honor him at all costs, even if it comes with a hefty price? Even if there's things that seem to be sacrificed, even if there's moments where you have to let things go, even if there's a time when you have to walk it all by yourself, they look at him and they say, you are confronting us thinking that you can get us to compromise by the penalty of actually living faithful to the God that we love. But know this, know this on the front side, we're going because we're never going to bow. And even if you put me in there and he never actually comes through, I'm not bowing out here and I'm not bowing in there because there's always a moment where the heat gets turned up and the opportunity arises and we are easily convinced that, hey, maybe this isn't worth it the way that I thought it was worth it. It was worth it as long as I thought he was going to keep me from any kind of penalty. But hey, you, you understand, this is a real price. He says, I'm not bowing. Send us in. And we know there's one that comes and stands in the midst of them. There's one that enters into the fire with them. And they're not burned their clothes or have no smoke, nothing on them except what bound them on the way in gets singed and they end up coming out and there's an eruption. Daniel chapter 5, we find a feast from Belshazzar and at the feast, there's a hand that appears. <laughs> a hand manifests. If a large hand manifested in the center of the room, some of us would pee our pants. <laughs> And I'm not saying that I might not be one of them too. But they're at a party and they're feasting. And as a way to mock the things of God, they have certain items pulled out of the treasury. And they begin mocking the things of the Lord. And a hand manifests and begins writing on the wall. And it says, you've been weighed. And you've been judged and you've been found lacking. We have to understand that the celebration of our culture as they mock us, as they ridicule us, as they seek to satisfy their own demonic inspiration. You do understand there is no cute, nice, gray middle ground. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us there was a time in all of our lives, as Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, there was a time in all of our lives where we were bound, where we were led, where we were manipulated by the spirit of the power of the air, where the rulers of the age, powers and principalities, through a disobedience to God and a rebellion to his ways, this used to be our life. But praise be to God forever that through his 
loving kindness and his mercy in the person of Jesus and the blood that was spilled for us, we now individually and as a people have been set free and we can now yield to the spirit that is at work in us to conform us into the image of the Son of God that loves us. A hand shows up and it starts writing. And the message comes, you've been judged. You've been weighed and you've been found lacking. We have to understand that in the tension of the age that we live in, there's coming a moment where the Son of Man will return. And the King will come and he's coming with his rewards, but he's also coming with his judgments. And part of the way that he will display or he will demonstrate his goodness and his love towards us and the creation is through his judgments. Because he is as good as he says he is, he must judge the things that are currently attempting to destroy the quality of life that he originally desires for us. Sin has caused corruption in all of creation, and it will not be salvation in its fullness unless judgment comes to the corruption. You've been judged. There's coming a moment when every wicked king will be judged. There's coming a moment when every evil leader throughout history will be judged. There's coming a moment like Paul defines for us in 2 Corinthians 5, where every man, every man, every man and woman that has ever been born will face the judgment seat of Christ. There is coming a moment where the king is going to issue his judgments. But now we live in the tension of those judgments being secured, but not yet fully being realized. And a hand manifests. And in Daniel chapter six, we have what is familiar to us, and it's actually where we began our reading. They're looking for a way to judge Daniel, and they can't. There's nothing wrong with this guy. He carries an excellent spirit. There's no matters of corruption in his character. In every way that we have tried to evaluate him, he's faithful, he's honest, he's integrous, he's upright, he's excellent. There is no corruption on his life whatsoever. And there is demonic conspiring against the person of Daniel to try to derail him because Daniel has now outlasted four kings and he is still rolling strong in a corrupt culture. And they say, we know what we'll do. The only way that we're going to be able to get him is if we take the law of his God and make it a crime. We have to actually take his devotion to God and make it a crime. We have to actually create a way for us to make his faithfulness to his God something that we can issue an indictment against him. And they do that. And in 6.10 it says, when Daniel heard this, when word was brought to him, you can no longer live the way that you live. You can no longer do what you do. You can no longer express your devotion to God the way that you have been because it's now a crime. Daniel resolves, I hear what that king is saying, 
but I also know what my king is saying. And Daniel goes to his house. You see, every, everything starts at the house. <laughs> who you are at the house is who you actually are. Who you are at the house is who you actually are. And so it's important that Daniel goes home first. Because everything starts at the house. Because again, God is a family man. And the church may host events, but the church is not an event. The church is a family. The church is a tribe. The church is a community. The church is a people. Everything starts at home. You do understand the church hosts events, but the church is not a Sunday service. The church is not a conference. The church is not a barbecue. The church is not handing out clothes. The church is not feeding those that are hungry. The church is a family. Now this family may do those other things and host those other gatherings or events or initiatives towards the community, but the church in and of itself is not to be defined by any of those other things. You see, it would sound really silly to you if I told you that my family was going to host a barbecue this weekend, and all of a sudden you said, okay, well then your family is a barbecue. No, that's weird. My family is not a barbecue. My family is a family, but that family may host a barbecue. Again, we have to understand who and what we actually are so that we can understand what it is that we are to be doing, especially in the days that we find ourselves, because for many, they have simply lost all of their hope and they've lost all of their purpose because the ways that we used to define ourselves have been taken from us, so to speak, and we are awaiting our newfound definition of revival, which is just the restoration of all of our American comforts and luxuries. Um, God does not define revival by the restoring of American comfort. God does not define revival by the resurrecting of all of our American luxuries. God is not interested in the definition of revival simply aligning with all of your preferences because of the pressure that we may be under in the moment. But Daniel shined brightest in the darkness. You have to understand that God is not afraid of hostile situations. That God is not intimidated, he's not afraid of the dark. But that we actually shine brightest, we actually burn best when we're under pressure, when we get squeezed, when there's hostility, when there's adversity, when uncertainty falls on us according to the things that we thought we knew and the things that we preferred. When things get shaken up, that's when we're able to see him the best and hear him the clearest. Not because it's a luxury, because in the days that we're living right now, it's not a luxury, it's actually a necessity. And Daniel faces the lion's den because of his faithfulness. Now, we have to understand that the book of Daniel is laid out with a specific format. The first six chapters, we have Daniel's public life. From chapter 7 through chapter 12, we actually have Daniel's private life. But if you don't understand the progression or the way that the book is laid out, then you kind of lose track after chapter 6 and you just think that Daniel fell off the scene in matters pertaining to public life and gave himself to the secret place for the rest of his life. And that's not at all what actually happened. The first six chapters give us a public view of what is happening to Daniel out in culture. 7 through 12 gives us an idea of what was actually informing all of Daniel's behaviors as he was living out in a public arena. Why do I even make that something that matters? 
because it is vital that in this hour we are more responsive to God than we are reactionary to culture. But if we don't understand what is fueling Daniel's life, if we don't understand what is informing all of his decisions, if we don't understand the way that God equipped him in a hostile season to thrive and just not to try to minimize his losses, then we'll never understand the prophetic picture that we have through a person that gives witness to a people in the end of the age. And Daniel goes into the lion's den because he must face the lion. His faithfulness and the way that his life has been perfect in matters pertaining to the law of his God must be confronted. And the lion is a prophetic picture. We have to understand that when you cross from six to seven in the book of Daniel, that Daniel has the clearest and the most concise vision given to him of the end of the age and the gospel in its fullness. In Daniel chapter seven, he is brought into this crazy vision, but we understand that Belshazzar was king, which means that it's not now in the moment where he's going into the lion's den. So you take piece by piece, 7 through 12, and find out where it fits in 1 through 6 to understand what God was doing behind the scenes so that you can have an understanding of why Daniel was able to posture himself the way that he did when he was out on the enemy lines. And Daniel has a vision. And in this vision, he says, I saw four beasts as things became clear. And he understood that the beasts were actually the rulers of the age. The beasts were actually powers and principalities because as the beasts continue, he says, and then I kept looking and I saw a throne that was established in the heavens and Yahweh, the ancient of days, the most high came and he took his place. But there was another throne that was sat down at his right side and there were other thrones that were established in the heavens. And then I kept looking and one like a son of man came riding upon the clouds and he approached the ancient of days. They understood throughout the history of their culture that no man could actually approach God and live. God communicated to Moses, I know that your heart burns and you want to see me, but let me tell you, no man can see me and actually live. So this is what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to pass by. But Daniel sees one that looks like a son of man. We're not going to dive into that, but it's actually translated. He's human, but he's divine. Daniel is catching a glimpse of the ascension out of Acts chapter 1. There are things we won't be able to connect the dots very well for, but Daniel is seeing a picture of the ascension from Acts chapter 1 because the clouds only respond to deity. And the cloud came and got Jesus. And the angels told the disciples, why are you standing here? Just as you saw him go, he will return. And as they saw him go, Daniel saw him appear thousands of years prior in a vision riding upon the clouds. And when he approached the ancient of days, 
he was a man because he must be a man because if Jesus never became a man then there was never a way for a man to approach God and to appear in the heavens but Jesus is a first fruits he is a seed sown into the soil that it must be cracked open and it must die so that it can multiply itself and reap a harvest unto God and he is the first man born again alive from the dead But Daniel sees that the Ancient of Days gives the right to judge the activity of the beasts to the Son of Man. All jurisdiction has been given from the Father to the Son. The right to issue eternal judgments because he's given a kingdom that will live forever. Again, you may decree, oh king, live forever, but there is one king that will actually live forever. And when this king takes his rightful place in the earth, every other power and principality will be dismantled and deconstructed because his kingdom will be without end and his reign will be forever. And Daniel sees that the judge takes his place and he begins to issue his judgments and his judgments get issued against the activity of the beasts. But the first beast that Daniel sees in his vision, he declares, now again, the beasts being the rulers of the age, demonic powers, demonic principalities, the first beast that Daniel sees in his vision in chapter seven looks like a lion. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us, for the enemy prowls and roams round about. One that appears like a lion. You see, Daniel must face the lion because Daniel is a prophetic picture of not just a person, but a people. And Daniel must go into the lion's den. And it says that in similar language, there's a large stone that is rolled over the mouth of the cave because they thought that they could secure him on the inside to be devoured through the desires of the enemy against him. But even in the midst of it, God shut the mouth of every lion and gave Daniel a place of rest even when he found himself under the tension of the enemy's desires for him. Daniel thrived in moments where he should have died and this was another glimpse because Daniel provides for us a prophetic picture of the church in the last days Daniel gives us a prophetic glimpse he's not just a person he's not just a prophet he bears witness of the people that God will supernaturally give gifting to in the final days as we're living when hostility is on the rise, when there's an increase in wickedness and corruption, and when the desires of the enemy seem to become normalized in and through our culture. Daniel gives us evidence that God will not abandon his people, but even as Daniel outlasted king after king and cultural issue after cultural issue, God will preserve a remnant for himself that will not bow in the midst of adversity and we are living in days where we can find great encouragement from the life of Daniel these are days to deeply walk with the Lord 
These are days that Joel prophesied about. For in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And not will I just pour out my spirit so that you can speak in tongues. But you're going to need more than that in order to survive and to thrive and to be successful in the advancing of my purposes. You're going to need dreams. You're going to need visions. You're going to need to prophesy. You're going to need an understanding of how real and how near and how powerful I am. And Daniel gives us an understanding that God will not abandon his people in the darkest of days. If you've read this book, you understand that the cultural situation is only going to escalate to greater places, that darkness is going to continue to rise, that the enemy's agenda, as he is seeking to derail the purposes of God, leading towards the collision, where the climactic moment, where the king will appear in the sky and Jesus will return. The enemy understands that he's already been judged, but the manifestation of that has not yet been fully realized and he will do whatever he can to try to disrupt what he knows God is doing. And as the days continue to grow darker and darker, we will continue to shine brighter and brighter. And as the days continue to grow in evil and to grow in corruption, we as a people will purge and resolve and walk intimately with the Lord and we will shine bright and we will arise and shine and we will burn for the glory of the King and we will be a family on mission planted in the nations advancing the purposes of a God that has not left us. We are a family planted in the midst of a hostile culture. But our posture is one to provoke because we carry a hope that the rest of the world does not have. You see, everything that we see and hear and experience is coming towards a moment of judgment. But our lives are coming towards a moment of reward because we will live on the other side of death forever in the place of eternity with Jesus. And he will be the only king and he will be the light that fills all things. And the hope that we have is that we don't have to act like the rest of the world because we understand that what the rest of the world is living for is not what we are actually hoping for because it's not what we have believed in. But the hope of the gospel is that you can take the world but give me Jesus. I have hope because this world is not all that there is. I have joy because when things are crumbling and things are shaking, I understand that this life is not all that I'm living for. But if we do not have discernment, we can't create the right perspective. And if we don't have the proper perspective, we'll never be able to posture ourselves rightly in order to realize our purpose and our power. But we are a prophetic people because we bear witness of things that are to come. We are a prophetic people that are planted in the midst of hostile nations and we announce the gospel and we ready our cities and our nations for the return of the king. We have a strategic mission. We are on assignment from heaven. The king has issued his decree and we are laboring faithfully while we have time to labor because the king will come again. But until he does, 
We are bound up in the tension where the enemy's desires to infiltrate and corrupt culture linger over us while the king is still with us. And as a lowly meek, because the meek shall inherit the earth, as a lowly and meek and broken people, we provide a glimpse of hope. We're a beacon of light. We're a city set on a hill. We are a people that are set apart. We are the hope of the world. But if you believe what the rest of the world believes, and if you act like the rest of the world behaves, then it will be hard to provoke the world when you are postured like the rest of the world. I believe with all of my heart that God wants to shake our hearts so that we can realize that we are a prophetic people because God is looking for a people that will posture themselves correctly. That this morning you would realize your power and your purpose. We may not necessarily be living in Babylon, but we are living in what is growing and increasingly over days, becoming a more corrupt culture where things are being celebrated and endorsed and they're being championed and they're being normalized. We are living in a moment in history where if we do not realize our prophetic purpose, then we will not be able to apprehend the prophetic power that God has given to us to provide hope to the rest of the world around us. Daniel did not tuck his head between his legs and run and hide. But he allowed God to do something in him. And what God did in him transformed the places of immediacy that Daniel found himself. I believe that God is raising up a transformative people. Not just a people who know how to attend and give. That sounds real funny, but that's what most of us have reduced our Christian experience to. He's raising up a transformative people. A people that will no longer be afraid of the dark because we understand that's actually where we burn the brightest. That's actually where my purpose is fulfilled the best. You don't need fire on your light or your life to stand where things are daylight and sunshine and things are comfortable and you can go to the beach for all that. You need fire on your life when times get tough, when things get dark, when things begin to shake and quake and everything around us begins to crumble. It's in those moments where we understand that we carry a prophetic purpose because we are a prophetic people and Daniel gives a glimpse into God's faithfulness to his people towards the end of the age. And in the end times, in the last age of the church, which we know from the moment of Jesus' resurrection and ascension and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, we have been living in the last days. And the picture of the last days church is not one where we're crippled. It's not one where we're weak. It's not one where in our futility and our desire to integrate into the world, we forfeit and we compromise. But it's one where we are a powerful people, planted in the soil of our culture. We're a prophetic people because we give a glimpse, we bear witness of the age to come and the hope that we have in the gospel and the king that will return in order to reconcile all things into and unto himself. If we are going to realize our purpose and our power, we have to make a decision like Daniel made. Daniel resolved in his heart that I will not defile myself. 
Friends, these are days where, like Revelation declares, where the bride, the saints, the church, washed their garments. These are days to wash our garments. The Spirit is at work right now, and there's a holy hunger that is arising in the hearts of people that love him of those that have seen him. There's a holy hunger, a dissatisfaction with all of the diet that the world and the culture around us has tried to get us to feed on. There's a holy hunger that is rising. It's an eruption, if you would, on the inside of hearts of those that see him and love him and have committed their lives to him. And we must begin to wash our garments because the Spirit is perfecting a people, a bride with no spot, no wrinkle, no blemish. These are days to make sure that our garments are being washed, where we are giving ourselves to the person of Jesus, where we're not defiling ourselves with the feasting on the table of the culture. But it all starts right here. It all starts right here. And I believe that God wants to do something in our hearts this morning where he would speak to us about certain things that we've been entertaining. When you see it, when you hear it. We've been giving ourselves to certain persuasions that have created a conversation for us to avoid the cost that at times must be paid because of the way that we have faithfully committed our lives to him. Hey, you don't understand, man, the, the, the furnace, that's not a good idea, bro. Like, that's not gonna be a good look on you, it's hot in there. Man, you can, you can sit this one out. Like, nobody's going to think of you any different. Like, hey, you can kick it at the house, man. Like, just binge watch Netflix for a little while. Everybody, nobody will know where you are. You see, at times we, we give way to the persuasions to not be willing to pay the price. To not be willing to actually count the cost and to live faithfully in a way that's going to honor him. I believe God wants to do something in our hearts this morning because he's longing for a faithful people to arise in the earth that would live for him and love him with all of their lives, no matter the cost, regardless the penalty, come what may, through hell or high water, the lion's den or the furnace, no matter what the government says. I understand things are beginning to rock the boat a little bit. No matter what the government says, no matter what ordinance gets issued, no matter what injunction gets signed, no matter what gets decreed or declared, no matter the demonic conspiring, no matter the things that are under evaluation and investigation, I will continue to do what I know the king has asked me to do, even if it costs me my life. Because I'm willing to give him my life because he gave me his. If it cost me my life, I'm willing to give it because he gave me his. I'm telling you, when we get free of the fear that this culture is trying to pin us down with and the self-preservation spirit that they're trying to put us in captivity with, we are going to be a wild, radical people that burn and love, and there will be no place too far that we would be willing to go in order to honor him and to live faithfully for him. And I believe that God begins that work heart by heart, person by person, story by story, and my yes is not your yes. You must be willing to give him a yes for yourself. 
And I'm going to ask you this morning, if you're willing, to give him that yes. I'm going to ask my man if he would come back. and You can stand up all over the building. I know that it was a little lengthy, but I felt it to be necessary. So thank you for bearing with me. And it's not just because I enjoy hearing myself speak. But I believe that God is after something in our hearts. I believe that he's after something in our hearts. Yo, we can do all the hoopla and the fanfare. We can do all the charismania stuff. But if it's not actually leading me into a greater place of faithful devotion to a king that is worthy of my life, he is not trying to integrate into your dream. He is waiting for you to make him your dream so that you can pick up his dream because there is something that he is doing and we are a part of it. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.